Lord, we ask for your grace, for your mercy, and for your spirit to move within our minds, our understanding, and help us today to understand and to explore what it means to build up our faith, the most holy faith, that we are able to stand in this generation and to be the beacon of hope, the light in this darkness, and the voice of your gospel to bring many to the knowledge of the truth and unto salvation. Help me today, Lord, to bring your word to become not just our reality, but our hope and our inspiration. And may everything that we do glorifies the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Building up yourselves on your most holy faith. Most holy faith. What is that? What is the most holy faith? And why do we need to do it? And the habit of, of the souls are these virtues. Patience, caring, honesty. And the habits of the souls are the things that we do that shapes and form our habits. Unfortunately, in the Protestant tradition, we don't put too much emphasis on work because we believe that we are saved by faith alone. We are justified by faith alone. And so we neglect the work that's supposed to shape our habits. It is for us. And if we don't shape our habits, we don't shape the virtues that makes up our souls, what's the difference between being a human and being an animal? Human being, we learn. And we grow through the process of understanding and knowledge. And that shapes who we are, how we behave, how we act, what we should feel, how we should respond to those feelings. I want to take a step back and look at what is faith? And are there different levels of faith? And how can we reach to what the Apostle Paul say is, how can we get to the most holy faith? How can we imitate Christ? If we don't grow in our faith, then we don't grow in our spirit. Christianity is the obsession with Jesus Christ. Some of us are obsessed with money. Some of us are obsessed with games. Some of us are obsessed with ourselves, our looks, obsessed with our hair. Some of us are obsessed with our food. Some of us are obsessed with our extra curricular activities, our schools, our work. But Christians, true Christians, are obsessed with Jesus Christ. Are you obsessed with Jesus Christ? Is he in your mind right now or is something else in your mind? If he isn't an obsession for you, we are defined by what we are pursuing. We are defined by what we are obsessed with. What is your obsession? Christians are obsessed with Jesus Christ. We need to examine our mind, our thoughts, our pursuit, because if we're not obsessed with Jesus Christ, then we are not Christians. And if you are obsessed with Jesus Christ, then whatever he teaches should be something that we learn. The Apostle Paul says, I determine not to know anything among you, except for one thing, that Jesus Christ and him crucified. Is that your pursuit? Or Jesus Christ is something that I'm only think about during two hours on Saturday and an hour and a half on Sunday, if even that. Because today, after this, I have a party to go to. What is your obsession? The Apostle Paul says, for me, it's Christ and him crucified. What is it for you? What is it for me? Christ and him crucified? That has always been since the beginning until when we're gone. It's been the history when people look back and the question that is posed is, is this person pursue Christ? If not, then let's not talk about that person. If you look back in history, if you study history, especially the Christian history, the people who are not interested in Christ 
they're not talked about. There are only two kinds of people who are talked about in history. The ones that are pursuing Christ and the ones that are anti-Christ. You're either hot or you're cold. Either you are the Pope or you are the anti-Pope. I find myself very interested in the anti-Pope. I read a lot about them because sometimes the Popes are not very interested. They didn't do anything. I find the heretic Popes interesting. There, there's an interesting history there. So either you're hot or you're cold. Either you pursue Jesus Christ or why don't you go out there and be really cold and talk against him, be a witness against him. Now at least the annals of history, they'll talk about you as sons of the devil. But if you are Christian, then your pursuit should be Jesus Christ. Otherwise, you don't exist in history. There's nothing about us that our children can point to and say, what? If our pursuit is not Jesus Christ, I decide not to know anything among you except him, Jesus Christ, crucified. We need to start with the basic and then we need to grow in our faith. The reason why some of us here don't understand what I'm talking about right now because we don't have the fundamentals and because we don't have the fundamentals, we can't grow in that knowledge. There are three aspects of faith. The first is notitia, the second is essentius, and the third thing is fiducia. So these three pillars are the three stages that make up your faith. Notitia is knowledge, knowing. Notitia basically it is a list of things. Knowledge is the basis for building your faith. It is the foundation. Ascensus is assenting to what you have read. So if you think about notitia, it is a list of things that you should read or study. Ascensus is your agreement, meaning after you read it and then there's a dotted line at the bottom and you sign it and you put your seal, your signature, you agree, you understood, you know what you are consenting to or what you are assenting to. And then the third stage is called fiducia. And fiducia means you trust. So you go from reading, knowing what you are ascending to, and then you sign your agreement. The third thing is the action. Trusting is how you act based on what you are assenting to. So let's talk about notitia. Notitia, knowledge, Romans 10, 14 says, how can they call on him in whom they have not believed and how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard and how shall they hear without a preacher? Notitia begins with something that is tangible, that you can hear, you can see, you can read. It is a document that you must acquaint yourself with. In the Christian tradition, notitia begins with the preaching of the gospel when you hear. When you give someone something to read, they won't read it until you talk to them why they should read it. And that transmission of knowledge is called notitia. You get a list of information, why should I, who is this person, and what is it that, I am, uh, that you're asking me to consent to. Faith, fundamentally, and the reason, let me back up a little bit, and why do you need faith? Faith is the instrument in which God uses to save you. Saved by grace through faith. Christians are justified by their faith, and Protestant Christians are saved by faith alone. Alone, sola fide. That's where you get Martin Luther to thank for, because he set that distinction between Saving by faith alone and not by work. You are saved because you believe in Jesus Christ. Christians are justified by their faith in God. How do you know you have faith? You think because you say the sinner's prayer or because you're baptized you have faith? How do you know your faith is true? How do you know that your faith is not temporary faith? How do you know that your faith is saving faith? The content of what I'm talking about is notitia. 
I'm, I'm giving you information so that you can begin to process. And that is the fundamentals of faith. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the Word of God. That's how we are saved. We are saved when the gospel is preached. When you hear the gospel, if you sit there and you don't pay attention, you cannot hear the gospel. So you can be around for many years and you can be sitting in the church, but you're not hearing the gospel because you're not paying attention. If you don't hear the gospel, you don't have noticia. You don't have knowledge. Knowledge comes when you read the Bible, when you hear the gospel, when you examine the document and the content of what's being said. That is noticia. The sinner recognizes that he's in trouble. There are two ways for him to fix this problem. You reach the dead end. There's no way out. And then you look up and there's a hole. Now, the question is, how are you going to get out? You know that there's a world out there. Someone in your past have told you that once you reach the end of the road, you look up, there's a hole, there's someone outside that can help you. You say, you know what? I can get out myself. So you try to get out, but you can't. You got no rope, you got no ladder. There's no way you get up there. So how are you going to get out? Oh, you remember someone told you that there is a person out there, up there, that can help you. So what do you do? You now have a decision. You can just stay in the hole and die. Or you try to get out, but you can't. So what do you do? You need to call out to the person. For you to call out to the person, you need to believe what you heard. That the person who told you that there is someone out there that can help you. You need to believe. Right? You need to believe in the word that was, that was given to you. And secondly, you need to examine yourself. You know, some of us, we act and we don't think. Because everything has a cost. A person who has some intellect will think about this. Okay, should I call out or should I not? Of course, everyone here said, you all should call out. But for me, I would say, wait a minute. If I call out, if someone saves me, then what does that make me? Have you ever think about that? If someone saves you, then what do you owe that person? Your life. So you have a decision to make. Should I call out? If you do, then you'll forfeit your life. If you don't, you also die. If you are going to call out to someone to save you, and you need to agree with yourself right now that you no longer live, that you belong to whoever saves you. The fourth stage is you call out. You make a decision. You can't save yourself. You don't want to rot and die and be a set of bones underneath this cave. So you call out and you decide and you agree with yourself that once you get out, you are subjected or you are subordinate or you become a servant of the person who saved you. Is that agreeable to you? Do you agree with that? Were you willing to be a servant? But then, when you call out, what happens? The part where grace comes in is when God scoops you out of that hole and he puts you onto life. And then this is what he said. He said, you're free. That's grace. Faith is the thing that's in the middle. But someone, by God's grace, told you how to be saved. That's grace. You didn't come up with that on your own. Someone told you. Your faith is you believe that someone can save you, so you call out, and then by grace, God picks you, and he, put, he delivered you from the hole. That's grace. And here's the greatest grace at all, of all. He said, you're free to be whatever. You're free to jump back into the hole and die, and you're free to go your own way. The process of growing in faith comes in is when you say, but Lord, 
Where do I go? All my life I live in sin, in this cave of sin. Where do I go now? I don't know where to go. The only place that I know to go, and the only reason why I'm even here is because you saved me. But so many of us today, we don't think about the one who saved us. We go on to live our life that Jesus Christ has given you freedom and now you live in abandonment of what you're supposed to. You're supposed to follow him. You're supposed to love him. But now you have your freedom. You go on and say, thank you. Just like the nine lepers that never look back. We need to assess our minds, our thoughts, and our lives. We owe God the debt of life. You can't just run off. You can't just live your life the way you want to. Because the Apostle Paul says, the one who saves you, you are indebted to that person. Otherwise, don't call out. Salvation is by grace through faith. And now Jesus Christ saves you, but because God wants you not to follow him because of obligation, he wants you to follow him because you love him. And therefore, he said, you, may, you are free to go. He only wants those who love him to say, but Lord, I want to follow you. Not because he make you follow him. And those who want to follow him, they get to the second stage. If you agree with what I said, then we go on to second stage, and that is to sign your name on the dotted line. You say that you're assenting, or meaning you're agreeing to this life. This is faith level one. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. You reject the gospel, then you remain in your sin. If you accept what has been said, God delivers you, then you have a choice. Whether you go and become a servant to Christ, or you live on your own and remain and become subservient to sin again. If you follow Christ, then your faith can begin to grow and you can say, say that you have saving faith. If not, then your faith was only temporary. It does not last. You only have the knowledge, but you're not consenting to what, you're not trusting in what is said in the gospel. The knowledge of the gospel is several things. It is knowing who Jesus was, who Jesus is to you, knowing where Jesus came from, the historical Jesus, what Jesus did, the work and ministry that Jesus has done, and how Jesus saved you. You need to understand that because you need to carry on the work that Jesus Christ has commissioned you to. How he saves you is how he's going to save others. At this level, you listen to the information as presented. You may say that, yeah, that sounds good, but you can say, I don't trust it. I live my own life, I don't trust it. I want to play my own game, I don't trust the gospel. This is level one. Knowledge without saving faith. The devil knows that God exists, but the devil is not saved. So knowledge does not save you. Knowledge only brings you to the point where are you going to agree with what you have been presented? If you are, then we go on to the next stage. The next stage is called a census. A census is agreeing with what you have believed in the notitia. Okay, assenting. Second, I'm sorry, First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye have received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye receive it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Believe, you receive the word of God not as men, 
but you receive the word of God as the truth. It means that you're sitting here and you're ignoring what I'm saying. That means that you are thinking I'm saying these things by myself. These are my words and these are not the gospel. If you're agreeing with the gospel, it means that you're listening, you're actively engaging your mind, and you say, this is the truth. And if you say, this is the truth, then what you held on previously must be false, and you need to abandon that, and you need to hold on to the truth. Are you agreeing with this? If you agree with this, then your life should change. If your life has not changed, and it doesn't matter what you say, you did not agree with it. Agreement with what you have heard is the stage, what we call a census. You trust what you heard is the truth. This is the next level. You are asserting that the notitia is the faithful witness of Jesus Christ. What you're saying is that the Bible is true. Not that you think what it says in here is fact, but you believe that this is the way that you should form your life and live your life in accordance to. That's what it means. Now, if you believe the Bible is the teaching and concept of man and not of God, then go ahead. Don't have to go to church anymore. Don't have to believe anymore. You can just stop right now and and leave, or if you can drive, that is, or you can walk home. But if you believe that the Bible is the revelation and the truth about Jesus Christ, of Jesus Christ, and this is how you should live and conduct your life, then you now sign that dotted line that says, I am consenting to this. I agree that this is the truth. It is like when you're buying a house. There are 30 different places where you need to sign, right? or when you buy a car, when you buy any big purchases, they say, make sure you read everything and know and understand what you are assenting to or what you're consenting to. When you go onto that website and it has that box that says, check here to agree with terms of use, and you check there and you sign in, that is signing your life away, so to speak. That's what it means. Faith is the same thing. You now heard the gospel, you read the gospel, do you agree? If you agree, you have read and you have understood, you see? The, the companies, they don't care whether you read or understood. They just want your money. But God does. And some of you said, but I signed. But God says, did you really read it? Did you agree on what was said? Did your life line up with what you agreed to? If you have read, signing meant that you have read, understood, agree with the terms and condition of faith. It's an agreement. You're going to sign that or you're going to walk away? Many people follow Jesus Christ. When he walked and preached in Judea and Samaria, many people followed him. This is what he said in John 8.45. He says, because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. It's not because they follow him, they listen to him. It means that they're consenting to what he's saying or they're agreeing with what he's saying. Many people listen to him, just like many people today. Church sounds good. Christianity sounds okay. But they're not committing their life. You're not agreeing with what your faith say that you should. We cannot find the truth ourselves. The truth is in Christ. And therefore he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man come to the Father except through me. We can see and we can force ourselves to understand or to believe that the Bible is true. But until we live our life like the Bible is true, then we are not agreeing with the content of the Bible. Unless you live your life the way that the Bible instructs you to live, you're not agreeing with the terms because the term says that you should live in accordance to the Word of God. Many deceive themselves in thinking and saying that God wants, if God wants humanity to be saved, why not show himself visibly? Would that make you believe? Like some of you, you would sit here and say, if God just shows up, 
that I can see him, then I believe him. Would that work for you? Do you think if God shows up right now, that you can see him visibly, that you will believe? That's the problem with us. We don't know our own mind. There are many things that you see and you don't believe. Jesus says this, if the dead come back to life and tell you, you wouldn't believe. They came to him and say, show us some miracles. And Jesus says, look, Jonah, brother of the well, three days. They didn't believe. God parted the Red Sea. They didn't believe. God was the fire by night, the pillar of clouds by day. They didn't believe. We have so much faith in our ability to believe that we become blinded by the fact that we naturally just don't believe. For us to come to any sense of faith, we need to just go back and believe what is written and what is spoken. That's it. You can see someone who's in the wheelchair for 25 years suddenly got up because she got prayed for. You go home, you tell your friend, and they go, that didn't happen. You see, our doubt is greater than our ability to believe. And so they look at Jesus Christ on the cross and said, if you're the Son of God, why don't you come down? And then we would believe. But Jesus knew they wouldn't believe if God would to show up because the dead did rise, right? When Jesus died, the Bible recorded many people came back from the grave. They didn't believe. Jesus was resurrected. His own disciples didn't believe. Don't put too much emphasis on, if I only see, then I believe. No, you won't believe. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. That is the truth. That is how we come to have faith. And if you agree with what's being said here, then you will go on to the next stage, and that is agreement, a census, agreeing with the information that's given to you. What does it mean to be in agreement with Christ's teaching? A census is the conviction that the teaching of Christ is true. Everything that's written here is true. When you hear the word of God through the preaching of the gospel, the hearer receives the word in one of two ways. Number one, he listens to this and he says, this is the concept of men. Many people will say that. And the scripture in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, Paul says that. Or two, you believe that it is divinely revealed truth. Therefore, you must accept it as the authority and how you live your life in accordance to what you have heard. A census simply means that you agree that the content of the notitia is true. When you put your trust in Jesus Christ is the third stage. Okay, Romans 4, 21, fiducia, trusting in Christ. And being fully persuaded what he had promised, he was able also to perform. Fiducia, trusting, means to be fully persuaded. Trusting is when you don't have full knowledge. That's why you need to trust. That's why faith is important, because seeing is not believing. Seeing is seeing. Believing is when you can't see, that's when you believe. But when you see, you saw, that's it. Trusting in Jesus Christ requires faith because you, you don't see everything. You don't have full knowledge of everything, but you are fully persuaded that what you have seen, what you have heard, you Agree, you trust that is the truth, and now you are going to fashion your life according to it. Someone come and tell you, I think this company would do very well in the future. If you only invest in it right now, you are going to make millions in the future. So, all you got to do, I have a little piece of paper here, 
says that you agree to what I said is true, and that you are consenting that I will take all your money and invest in this company for you. All you gotta do is sign on the dotted line. Good? It's all good. Depends on, let's just say you truly believe what I said. Okay, so you sign on the paper, and now I come to you and said, you use the product, you like the product, the company would do very well. You sign, you said that you're going to invest all your saving, everything you got, you sell your car, you sell your house, you sell your wife and kids and everything, because you're gonna make millions. You signed. So I'm gonna come over and I said, okay, now give me the money. When it actually comes in committing our life to what we say that we believe, we say, what? Wait, what? This is fiducia is when you go, here you go. Here's my life. Here's all my saving. This is everything I got. Go ahead, take I believe that this is the right investment. That is fiducia. Now, it's harder than you think, right? It's easy to, yeah, yeah, I believe the Bible. Yeah, okay, yeah, you want me to sign, I sign. But now, committing your life, giving up your saving, everything. What? Wait a minute. And being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able to perform. Look at the Apostle Paul. He jumped head in. And he said, this is what I believe. This is how I'm going to live. Live or die. I believe and I commit my life fully to the gospel. That is what it means to get to the next stage in your faith. Are you fully persuaded? Because going from a census to fiducia, it is the leap of faith. It's not simply a climb. It's not simply signing. It is you throwing yourself out there and saying, yes, catch me, God. Give me wings. If not, I'm going to fall flat on my face. But I'm going to jump. Do you believe in the Word of God? Do you believe in what you have heard? Will you live your life that way? Fully persuaded is the state of complete and utter dependence on Christ and not on the senses and experiences of the self. Trusting without full understanding. That is why this stage, the stages of faith here, is cyclical. We need to go back and build on our knowledge and agreeing with what we have learned, and then leap in faith and come back because it builds through these stages of faith. When Jesus washed his disciples' feet, Peter says, oh no, Lord, you can't wash my feet because based on my understanding, the master shall never wash the disciples' feet, but the disciples should wash the master. And Jesus responded to Peter, he said this, what I do, you don't understand. But when you do understand, then you can do what I do. Fiducia is without having full understanding of what we're doing. We're believing, we're leaping out in faith, and we do it. It's like when someone is sick and you're not a doctor, even if you're a doctor, you don't know how this process of healing is going to happen. But because you believe that the Bible is true and you believe that you're laying hand on someone and you're praying for that person and they will be healed, so you do it, or you don't. That leap of faith will make you look like a fool when things doesn't work out the way that you said it would, or you witness the power and the miraculous God at work. Fiducia is the aspect of faith that is complete trust in God. Trust must precede the revelation. God is not going to say, I'm going to show you and then you believe. It's always been believe, then you will see. Fiducia has to come before the miraculous work of God. You can't say, come down from the cross and then I'll believe. That's not how God works. He said, believe and then you will see. It requires the leap of faith from a census to fiducia. The believer must make that leap. There's a young girl, and she was beautiful, so beautiful that the king marries her. 
And even though she knew that she is now the queen, without the king's order, she cannot come and see the king. There's something that Esther must learn to do, and that she must learn to trust that in her position, she has access to the king. She might have heard that somewhere, but no one is telling her that she won't die if she comes before the king without an order. If she doesn't go to the king, her people will die. If she does go to the king, what would happen? She might die, but her people, if she doesn't go to the king, her people will surely die. It's 100% for sure. And if her people die, what happened to her? She dies too. All the Jews will die. No one told the king that he married a Jew. So if all the Jews must die, then she's a Jew, then she must die. She probably didn't think about this until Mordecai told her, you won't escape, you will die too. So, so now she has a decision to make. Everything that she knew points to two possible scenarios. She's the queen, of course she can see the king. Maybe not, but of course the king will have mercy on her. Maybe not. She doesn't have full information. For, in order for her to save her people, she needs to take that leap of faith. She needs to go from a census to fiducia. Like Esther, you and I, unless we want to see life happen, we need to take that leap of faith. There is no enough information out there for you to make that decision. You just have to take that trust. You have to have trust to get to the next stage. There's no bridge there. You cannot see. You need to make the jump from this stage to the next one. Cannot climb over. You need to jump. Esther's faith grew in confidence as she thinks about and strategizes how she would approach the king. And this is how you and I, we should think about our faith. We cannot grow from a census to fiducia by simply believing. You need to do what Esther did. And what did Esther do? He told Mordecai, give me three days. What did she do in those three days? She fasted. She fasted. She denied her body, her flesh, her desires of the things that they are used to. What she's doing is she is dying. She's slowly killing off her own desires, her fear of dying. Because fasting is that. Fasting is dying of yourself. We need to practice how to die, so that when it comes time for us to take that leap, we can. Fasting, praying, devoting yourself into God, into the ministry and the work and the, the knowledge of God allows you to begin to take away from yourself so that when you get to the edge, you can jump. To get from assenting or ascensus to fiducia, it's called the leap of faith, what Jesus Christ called the denial of the self. When you deny yourself, then you can go from ascensus to fiducia. And so I will go unto the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. How did she arrive at that point where she say, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go and appear before the king. She made an agreement with herself and before everyone. And this is what she says. It doesn't matter what happened to me now. 
If I die, I die. Things doesn't look easier. You don't gain more faith by standing at a census. Everything will remain the same. The thing that we need to do at this stage is make ourselves smaller and less significant so that we can take the leap. That's it. Like Esther, she agreed with herself that my life does not matter anymore. If I die, so be it. That's fiducia. What's the worst that can happen to Esther? She dies. Either way, not going to the king, she dies. Going to the king, she might die. What's the worst thing that can happen to you? What's the worst thing that can happen to any of us? Have you heard David talked about a pastor who was captured, and they asked him to renounce his faith, and he preached a sermon. They killed him. What's the worst thing that can happen to you and I? We are martyred for Christ, for Christ's sake. Is that okay? Is that okay with you? Are you willing to accept it? That's the leap of faith. That's the leap of faith. If you are willing to accept that, and you say, "What's the worst thing that can happen to me? I lose everything." What's the worst thing that can happen to me? Everyone I know will die. What's the worst thing that can happen to me? People will reject me. People will abandon me. What's the worst thing that can happen to me? I can die. Is that okay? Will you accept that? If you're willing to accept that, then you believe that God is the God of the living and not of the dead. You believe that Jesus Christ. Rose from the dead, became the first fruit of all those who die in Him, and therefore you will not die in the grave, but you will be risen again. As Christ has been risen by God, you so will be also be risen by God. Do you believe this? We don't know for certainty that our faith in Christ will give us wealth and riches and all these things. All we know and all I'm expecting is that people will abandon me. I will lose everything. And in the end, I will die. I want to say this is okay. I'm willing to accept this. Are you? Are you willing to accept your faith in Jesus Christ to be one that is self-denial completely? Is the worst outcome acceptable to you? Are you willing to say that I'm willing to die, the worst possible thing that can happen to me, because I believe in what God has said? If you do, then the promises of God is true. If you die, and we all will die. Esther, where is she now? She died. Yes, she died a long, long time ago. Maybe a pleasant death. Maybe not. We don't know. But she also died. But she believed in the God that will raise her from the dead, and we all do believe that. Whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Do you believe this? That's his question to all of us. Do you believe this? If you believe this, death is terrifying. It's true, but your fears and your doubt cannot prevent you from laying down your life for Jesus Christ, because in this age, in this life, many people profess that they believe in Jesus Christ, but very few people are willing to live and die for Him. And we need to be the people who are witnesses of this. Because it's really easy for you to be a witness. Follow Jesus Christ; everything will be great. But when people look at your life, they see that you go through all the pain and suffering. You give up your life. You give up your time. You give up your money. You serve everyone else, and you turn around and you say, "I do it because of the Lord Jesus Christ has done it for me." 
That's a greater witness, right? Because if everyone wants things for themselves and no one does anything for anyone else, then what is the Christian witness? The Christian witness is Jesus Christ, he laid down his life for us so that we can do the same for others. And that is the Christian witness. Faith, your faith, your saving faith is the burden of the cross. And each believer needs to take up that cross and follow Jesus Christ. Are you willing to accept this? You and I, we can grow in the most holy faith. Let's come to the Lord in prayer. We ask for your spirit to overwhelm us with the faith that you have given to us through Jesus Christ, that we will live to be witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ, witnesses of your love, witnesses of your sacrifice, witnesses of the power of God that endure through all the difficulties that we might go through in this life, all the things that we deny ourselves of, to be a witness for those who will look at the gospel and look at our lives as living gospel and say that those who live by the gospel are truly believer in this God, Jesus Christ, who live his life as a sacrifice for others. And I pray, Lord, that we simply don't become mere words and things that we say, a song, a tune, but we become living examples of the Lord Jesus Christ, being shown through the way we live, the way we act, what we say, and our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And may you be glorified through each one of us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.